Thanks, Arturo. Hey, man, I just love it when you and Trinice host us on Sunday. You guys are just a fabulous. You are a fabulous team, all right? <laughs> hey, guys, a couple of quick announcements, and then we're going to jump right into the message. First, make sure you share this message. This is a message you're going to want your family and friends far and wide to hear, so share it. Secondly, uh, tag us. If you're tracking of us on social media, tag us, NBCC Bay Area. Let's pray. God, we ask that you'd pour your spirit out on this experience. We thank you for all you've already accomplished through uh, our shared worship here today. Now, pour your spirit out even the more on me, the speaker, on all of us who are listening across the country and across the world. My prayer is simple, that you will use this message in conjunction with our entire time of worship today to do greater in all of our lives, more than what we could have imagined for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us in our third week of this series called Thrive. Uh, shout out to those of you who are watching from our San Jose campus and the rest of you watching from across the country and across the world. I am so, like, just psyched that you guys are with us in this third week. But first, a quick announcement. Last week, during the course of the message, I talked about three history makers and pace setters that are anchored right here in the Bay Area. One of those individuals is the Honorable Shalina Brown. She is one of the youngest people ever to be appointed as a superior court judge. Well, check this out. Next weekend, she's going to be our keynote speaker. She's going to close out this series. So don't you dare miss it. Make sure you invite your family and friends to hear her. Uh, both in San, at, at our San Jose campus and our Ridwood City campus. She'll be teaching live in Ridwood City on Sunday, but uh, she'll be coming to, to San Jose vis-a-vis -vis the same way I'm doing it right now. Uh, and all of you guys online, just, you know, get your family and friends. It's going to be super, super special. She's got a book coming out called Preside. Make sure you uh, keep your uh, eyes peeled for that book. When it hits, uh, it's going to be something super special. All right. Also, guys, we're in the middle, we're in the, in the first week, if you will, of our 40 days of prayer and fasting, and it's not too late for you to join us to believe God for greater in your life and the lives of those that you love. So just simply go to our website and you can sign up. I'll be happy to send you an email every single day to help facilitate the process for you. Also at our website and in our NBCC app, you'll find a PF40 card. And on that card, you can identify five people that you uh, want to see God do something uh, special in their lives over the course of the next, uh, from now to Easter. And you can write their names out. Listen, I'm raising this because a few days ago, I was looking over the list of folk that I prayed for last year at this time over the course of 40 days. And I, I actually had listed about seven people, uh, about three to four of them God had, I was shocked to, in retrospect, realize that God had really answered the prayers that I was praying, uh, and it was pretty amazing. Now, did God do everything that I was asking him to do? Nope. But what he did uh, in the lives of those uh, several folk was more than what I could have imagined. I want that to be your testimony. So go ahead and sign up today. Join us on this journey. All right. We've been talking about what are the keys to help us to unlock lives that are thriving and flourishing. So 
Let's uh, jump right into our passage today, Daniel chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. And of course, if you've missed the previous messages, you can just simply go to our website and uh, make sure you check out those earlier messages. Okay, here's the word. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for others. And there ends the reading. If you were with us on last week, you know I talked about this figure by the name of Daniel. In chapter 6 of Daniel, we discover him having risen really to the second highest post in the Medes empire. Now, I said empire, I didn't say nation. Empire is made up of many nations. And what the biblical writer wanted us to figure out was that his incredible leadership, because he had to lead that, that extraordinary empire infrastructure, his innovation, creativity, his ability to interact with folk, all of that stuff was tied to the fact that he prayed three times a day. A reminder of part of why we're engaging in this season of prayer and fasting. My wife told me after I got home, she said, hey, she said, listen, if Daniel had all of that huge responsibility and, and found it necessary to find a time to pray three times a day, what about us? She said, you should have made that point. <laughs> so I said, thank you, baby, for helping me to preach. So I'm making the point now, y'all. <laughs> but today I want to go back a little bit. I want to go to chapter one where Daniel actually comes on the scene. Here's the deal. Uh, the Babylonians uh, overthrow Jerusalem, which is the southern kingdom, which is the final uh, uh, portion of the nation of Israel that collapses uh, under the attack of this new empire. They take the brightest and the best out of Jerusalem, and they move them to Babylon. And among them are some young men like Daniel, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they begin the process of incorporating these individuals into the empire machinery. So the king gives an order. He says, listen, first of all, change their names to Babylonian names. Uh, train them in the most productive fields and educate them so that they are they're the brightest among us so that they can lead at a high level and fatten them up. It was at that point where he says, fatten them up, feed them all this food that is in violation of the Jewish dietary laws that Daniel drew a line. He said, uh, I can't. It's all right if you change my name. It's all right if you want to train me. It's all right if you want to do the education piece. Can't do this food thing. I draw a line here. And the moment he draws a line, he sets the stage for conflict. Now, for those of you who are signed up and receiving my emails every single day, this morning you received an email from me where I spent some time reflecting just a little bit on 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, God says, would humble themselves and pray, a season of prayer and fasting, right, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And I told you uh, in this morning's uh, meditation that while it's easy for us to see wicked ways in others, it's harder for us to see wicked ways in ourselves. So I suggested that we take that word wicked ways and we change it to wounding ways. And one of the places where our wounding ways surfaces is in conflict. How we manage, deal with, interact with this notion of conflict. 
Now, here's an insight that I want to just kind of work with over the course of this message. And I just want you to get this. I want you to get this. Our spiritual growth is either strengthened or limited by our emotional maturity. That there's a direct tie between how emotionally mature we are and how spiritually uh, mature we become. Even if we can quote scripture and we pray a lot and we worship deeply, all those things can be very real, the relationship very authentic, and yet there can be a lid on our spiritual growth because we are underdeveloped emotionally. Now, the person who makes this point brilliantly uh, is the writer of the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Mr. Pete uh, Scazzaro. And I want to encourage you to get this book, not just for this message, but two weeks from now, I'm going to come back and do a series called Coming Home. I'm going to talk about how the dynamics of our home life, both in the past and in the present, either empowers or undermines our ability to be impactful in God's kingdom and in the world. So I want to strongly encourage you to get this book. It is a fascinating book. It's going to really help you as we make our way through the series. But here's the point that I'm trying to make today. You and I cannot talk about a life that thrives and flourishes without you and I talking about how we handle, how we engage with conflict. And Mr. Pete makes the point that the way you and I engage with conflict reveals how emotionally mature we are. Our emotional maturity is, is, is expressed often as well as our spiritual maturity and how we look at and engage conflict. Let me give you some examples from what he's written. He suggests that we can think about our maturity level emotionally on the level of the infant, uh, the, the, the child, the adolescence, and then adult. Here's what he means. Some of us can be 50, 60, 70, 40, 30, whatever the case is, but we are emotionally functioning at one of those other levels, infant, child, adolescence. Here's some examples. And kind of listen for your own reaction to how you might engage with conflict. Don't think about the other person. Kind of think about yourself. Listen for you as we walk through this. For those who are functioning on an emotionally infinite level as they think about engaging with conflict, look, he says, for those of us who fit that category, we tend to look for others to take care of us. We're driven by the need for instant gratification. We use others as objects to meet our own needs. In other words, you're only as important to me as you are meeting a need. For those of us who are, you know, underdeveloped and and our development stopped kind of at the emotional children level, we tend to interpret disagreement as personal offenses. Just because you disagree with me, uh, I, I feel hurt by it if you're in that category. We tend to be easily hurt. We complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, and become sarcastic when things don't go our way. And for those of us who are maybe stuck in the emotional adolescence area, we're threatened and alarmed by criticism. We have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointment, or needs. And we tend to often be defensive or critical or judgmental surfaces in the midst of conflict. For those of us, though, who are emotionally healthy at the adult level, he says, we tend to recognize and take responsibility for our own thoughts and feelings. We can own our stuff. 
We can state our beliefs and values without becoming adversarial, without feeling like we got to pick a fight. We have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and to negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives and interests of others and not just ourselves. For those who are emotionally mature. Here's the big idea for today's message. I want to make sure you get this. At the end, I want to I hope that you will have internalized this point. That one of the ways to change our approach as it relates to conflict is to change how we see conflict. And I'm suggesting that this is a transformation in order to take place. Transform conflict from seeing it as opposition to seeing it as opportunity. Transform your interaction with conflict from a place where you have to fight or, or flight to seeing it as an opportunity for you to grow, for others to grow, an opportunity for God to move, an opportunity for, for you to become an instrument of blessings to others. See it as an opportunity. If you can change that lens, you can begin to respond. But it takes a certain level of maturing. And as you seek to change the lens, you facilitate the maturing process in your life. We tend to deal with conflict at least two extremes. Often we avoid it out of fear of being hurt or out of fear of losing something or losing somebody, which equals being hurt. Or we tend to weaponize it also out of fear or out of pain. Now, I'm going to spend bulk of this message talking about the first, how to move from avoiding pain, uh, avoiding conflict to engaging it. I want to make sure that we have both the posture of mind, heart, and skills to begin to thoughtfully and wisely engage conflict. Now, here's the deal. When we say avoid conflict, a lot of us, come on now, uh, you, you've heard these statements. you got to go along to get along. Uh, you, you know, in order to keep the peace, I'm just going to keep quiet. Well, Pete refers to that as False peacekeeping. He suggests that Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, but sometimes in order to make peace, we have to disrupt false peace. Rather than pretending that things are all right when it's actually wrong, we need to be able to be honest and truthful. He gives us some examples of what this looks like in Real life, this notion of pretending rather than being honest. Carl is upset about the behavior of his spouse who constantly comes home late after work. He says nothing. Why? Because he thinks he's being like Christ by not saying anything. Yet, he often gives her cold shoulder and the silent treatment. He, Carl, according to Pete, is a false peacemaker. Pam disagrees with her co-workers at lunch when they slander her boss. She's afraid to speak up. She goes along. I don't want to kill the atmosphere by speaking up and disagreeing, she thinks. Pam is a false peacemaker. Bob goes to dinner with his friends, 10 of them all together. 
He's having a financially difficult time, so he orders salad and an appetizer. Everybody else, though, you, 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 some of you have been in this context, they order appetizers and steak and wine and desert and, and desserts. And when the bill comes, they say, listen, it's too complicated. Let's just split it evenly. <laughs> Everybody agrees. Bob's dying on the inside but won't say anything. Bob's a false peacemaker. Pete writes, the problem with all these scenarios is that the way of true peace will never come through pretending that what is wrong is right. True peacemakers love God, they love others and themselves enough to disrupt false peace. I want to suggest to you that in order for you to move from avoiding conflict to engaging conflict, being willing to disrupt false peace, You've got to change the paradigm. You've got to recognize or begin to think, at least ask the question, is this potential conflict that I'm tempted to avoid, is it simply opposition or could it be opportunity? And the more you think about conflict as an opportunity to be blessed and to be a blessing, the easier it is for you to be faithful, a faithful friend. You know, you're not a good friend if you see your friend doing something that undermines their future and you don't say anything, right? The easier it is for you to be faithful if you see conflict as an opportunity rather than simply as opposition. So here's the the first kingdom principle that I'm going to spend most of the time talking about. Here it is. Paul writes it this way. Speak the truth in love. Rather than avoiding conflict, learn how to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth means to be a person of integrity uh, and, and to be honest in your context. It does not mean that you have to share every single thing that comes to your mind about every single thing. But what it does mean is that you, if something is happening in your life that is causing you, that is a source of pain, you got to speak the truth. Or if a major value of yours is being violated... Or you see someone else being abused, you've got to speak the truth. In love speaks to how you speak the truth and why you speak the truth. Come on now. Uh, In other words, you've got to make sure that before you start engaging, the first place is for you to check your heart. Now, let's see how this works itself out. As I I want to leave you with not just a perspective, see conflict not as opposition but as opportunity but I want to leave you with some skills to help you to mine the opportunity that exists in conflict and we learn most of these skills by watching Daniel in this particular situation where he is drawing a line and he has set the stage for conflict rather than running away from it he's about to confront it there are some skills along with some insight that you and I need to engage in. Now, here's the first one. When I get ready to engage in conflict, I need to practice search me and identify the value. Here's what I mean by search me. I, I suspect you're familiar with Psalms 139. Uh, the psalmist prays this prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you. I've got to spend some time doing. Perhaps there is a crucial conversation you need to have in your life, at your job, with a family, with a kid, with a parent. But you, you should first spend some time 
with God in this season of prayer and fasting, searching your heart and really examining why am I driven to have this conversation? Is it for the right reasons? Is it for the wrong reasons? And then in the process, if in fact you sense you need to move forward, then you've got to identify what value is it that I'm living up to? What value is it that perhaps I feel has been violated that I am that I'm projecting or protecting or articulating. We see Daniel knows exactly the value. I suspect that he spent some time talking to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Should we eat? Can we not eat? They're trying to force us to eat. If we, if we respond negatively, who knows what the results are going to be. I suspect they spent some time praying and fasting about whether or not they should have this conversation or should they compromise and just move forward and keep their peace. And ultimately, the decision is made. I don't know whether all of them make the decision, but ultimately, Daniel says, uh-uh, we, I can't do it. I can't do it. And the value that is identified, we see it here in verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. There it is right there. He, re- he drew a line. He reached a conclusion. I cannot eat this food because it violates the very core of my faith. And if you read on to the very end of it, not only had he determined, ultimately he had concluded that the food is unacceptable. Unacceptable. So in Daniel's mind, he's drawing a line, setting the stage for conflict. He knows what value he's defending. You should know what value that you're defending. And I'm sure it comes out of a place of prayer and probably fasting. Notice verse 9. Now God has given the chief of staff who's in charge of Daniel and, and the rest of the guys both respect and affection for Daniel. Here's the principle, and then I'll give you the skill. The principle is, check my assumptions before I engage into conflict. Check my assumptions. Interestingly enough, it would have made sense if Daniel had concluded, had assumed, that when I approach this guy about what I can't eat anymore, that it would be an adversarial uh, confrontation. Because after all, this guy is working for the king, and the king has gave them a very clear order, strict orders. How could it be anything but adversarial? But that is not Daniel's assumption. He, he, he approaches it very non-adversarial. The verse says he actually asks permission to be let out of this responsibility. He doesn't go and says, I'm going to draw a line. I can't eat this stuff. Get ready to, to engage. No, 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 no. And, 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 and his assumption proves to be right because the text tells us that God has already moved on Daniel's behalf and given him favor with the guy that he needs to talk to. Check your assumptions. Now, here's how you take the check your assumption and actually turn it into a skill. Here's the skill. May I check my assumptions? Is that right? When you're dealing with people, this framing your entering into a potential conflict, conflicting conversation with these words. May I check my assumptions? And then at the end, is it right? Let me give you a perfect example so you can see how this works. You're watching, you're going through your Instagram feed. And you see the guys, you, 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 the guys that you hang out with all the time, they were out at the movies last night and nobody invited you. You were like, what? 
Clearly, they was at the movies, and then you see another picture. They're at the pizza parlor. They're eating, they're eating, and nobody invited you. And you find yourself saying, I bet it was John. I bet he invited everybody except me, and he must have did it because he is not over. He's still angry about whatever happened a month and a half ago. That dirty dog. <laughs> well, number one, how do you know it was John that organized it? A subject. Number two, how do you know that if he didn't invite you, he didn't invite you because he was angry at you or something? Maybe he thought about inviting you and the other guys said, no, 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 no. Herman is fasting and praying in this season. And so it would be unfair to have him to come out and be around all this food. Maybe, 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 maybe. So how do you handle it? Well, here's what you do. Uh, rather than going to him and saying, why wasn't I invited? Everybody shout, why? You have to always watch starting a conversation with why, because when you start with why, there's an implicit, come on, there's an implicit accusation. There's an implicit assumption. So don't find John. Rather than saying why, you should say to him, uh, can I check my assumptions? Uh, is it that I saw on Instagram that you were out with the guys, everybody was having a good time, and nobody invited me? Is it that I wasn't invited because, uh, you know, you were upset with me? Is that correct? That creates space for a non-adversarial conversation. Can I check my assumptions? Second principle is framed as a question. Can we find a win-win? This, this is the notion of, again, seeing uh, conflict not as opposition, but as an opportunity, an opportunity to be a blessing to the other person as well as your receiving a blessing. This happens uh, in, in the text. Look at how this happens in the text. Daniel says to the guy, listen, we can't eat this can we have permission to get out of having to eat this and eat vegetables, uh, which is in line with our diet? The guy responds, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered, that you, if, who've ordered you to eat this food and wine. And if you become pale and thin compared to other youth your age, I'm afraid. Notice how many times he says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. The king will have me, watch this, beheaded. Here's a Here's the point. Usually on the other side of that conflict, what's really going on in the other person's mind is either they're acting or coming to you or dealing with fear or pain. So part of what you've got to do is figure out what's the source of the fear, what's the source of the pain. You can't just be so concerned about your interests. You need to figure out what's going on with them. And then you can perhaps find, because it's an opportunity, not opposition, a win-win scenario. And so here's what Daniel says. And Daniel says, listen, <clears throat> let us for 10 days eat a Jewish diet, really made up of, of uh, vegetables. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed, tested them for 10 days. And then here comes the result. 
At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends, I love this, looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. And so at the end of the day, <laughs> the guy got to keep his head and Daniel and them got to eat their diet. See that? Can somebody say win, win? <laughs> Look for the win-win. All right. Here's a final kind of summary principle. Daniel understood what you and I got to know. How I begin the conversation will impact the ending of the conversation. In every example that I've just given you, Daniel is paying attention to how he starts the conversation because he knows that that will have a lot to do with how the conversation ends. Listen, again, verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating food and wine given to them by the king. So he asked the chief of staff for permission. Can you hear the politeness? Can you hear the respect for the other person and for the position of the other person? Can you see Daniel creating space for a non-adversarial engagement? Can you see Daniel really working this thinking, you know, this doesn't have to be oppositional. There is an opportunity here. Wow. Let me give you two more skills. I'm talking about skills that helps you to engage uh, these kinds of potential conflicted, conflicting conversations in a healthy way. Right, here's another skill. I'm puzzled. Help me to understand. Perhaps you've been sending emails to a friend or a colleague over the last several days. They have not returned your email. Rather than just sulking about it and, and, and turning it into a grudge, find that friend, find that colleague. And again, don't say, why didn't you return my emails? Remember, why is an immediate accusation. It, is, it often comes across as an attack. It has embedded in an assumption. Eliminate the why. Simply say, hey, can I talk to you? I'm puzzled about my unanswered emails. Can you, can you help me? Can you help me to understand? What am I missing here? I'm puzzled. Help me to understand. And here's the last skill. I noticed and I prefer. I noticed and I prefer. Let's use this example. Let's go back. Let's say you, you're the guy that's uh, the person sitting with your 10 friends. <laughs> you're ordering salad and appetizer. Everybody else is ordering steak and, and lobster and, <laughs> and wine and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, they say, hey, let's just split this 10 ways. It's all good. That's your opportunity to say, uh, hey, guys, I noticed that everybody kind of ordered, you know, a lot of expensive stuff here. You may not have noticed, <laughs> but I ordered salad and appetizer because, you know what, my budget is kind of tough. So uh, I would prefer just to pay my part. Is that cool? Create space. I've noticed as an observation. I would prefer I'm offering a solution. I'm not just coming with a problem. Here's an observation, and I'm offering a solution. I'm telling you what my hopes and what my preferences really are. Isn't that amazing? When we can engage like this, 
we engage with maturity. We engage as though the potential conflict is actually a profound opportunity. Look what happens for Daniel in his, in his context as we wrap this up, bring this to a conclusion. Listen, I, I love it. I love it. Listen, uh, at the end of the 10-day period, uh, he and his friends are healthier and stronger than the folk who are eating the king's food. Look at the opportunity. Suddenly, uh, uh, the pagan Babylonian now recognize that these guys who are honoring their faith, come on now, is bearing witness to the power of God in their lives. Look at the opportunity that exposes. And perhaps if they think about it, I don't think they did, they might think, you know, maybe we ought to change our diet as well. <laughs> Praise God. All right, let me wrap this up. I, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to wrap this up uh, by, by just, just raising the other side of the coin for just two minutes. Just, just two minutes. See, the, the first kingdom principle is speak the truth in love. The second kingdom principle, and I'm just going to tap it a little bit here, is receive the truth with love. Can you just say that? Receive the truth with love. You know, one of my favorite all-time series is Star Trek. And my, my favorite Star Trek is the old one with Captain Kirk. And oftentimes, if, if the Star Trek, if, if the Enterprise was there and they, they noticed the Klingon is, is, shows up on their radar, and, and somebody says to Captain Kirk, raise the shield, the Klingon said. He said, no, don't raise the shields. He said, we need to first hail them on the communication channel. Let's, let's try to communicate with them. If we raise the shield, that will signal them that we're ready to attack. Keep the shields down. And that's how often we are, guys. And, you know, I talked about one response is that sometimes we will weaponize conflict. When someone comes to us with an, with an adjustment, with advice, with insight, or even with the challenge if we're not mature, we immediately raise our shields. We're immediately ready to attack. We weaponize conflict. We shout. We scream. We criticize. We judge. We, 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 we use our words to punch. And we become unsafe people, right? Unsafe uh, teenagers for our parents to speak into our lives. Unsafe colleagues for, for our friends to help us to move to the next level on our, on our job, right? Unsafe parents uh, to engage our kids because, because people feel like, I can't engage you because you're too quick to explode and become dangerous. You raise your shields. Here, here's the kingdom principle here. Proverbs 19.20. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise with the rest of your life. That you have to adopt the posture, my friends, that at the end of the day, that when, 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 when people seek to share good information with you, critique you, whatever the case is, maybe the tone is not right. Maybe the time is not right. But you've got to be mature enough to ask the question, is what they're saying this is a blessing. Is it helpful? And you've got to learn how to receive, take in information with love. So here's the final things I want you to practice. Learn how to say rather than react and blowing up and all that stuff. Learn how to be the first thing to say, here's what I'm feeling. And lay your feelings out. And here's what I'm thinking. And lay out what you're thinking. 
and then asked a serious question. This is the growth-oriented question. Tell me what I'm missing so I can see what I don't see and hear what I don't hear. Amen and amen. I want to challenge you to go to our website. It's right here. If you haven't signed up to be a part of this 40-day of prayer and fasting, do it today. We'll see you next week.